Hey, grown-up friends. This episode is sponsored by Unest. Start investing in your most important asset, your kids, with Unest. Soon, you will also be able to give the gift of crypto. Join the Unest Legacy waitlist and get early access, entry into giveaways, and much more. Visit unest.co for more information. You're listening to Money Tips for Financial Grown-Ups with me, certified financial planner, Bobby Rebel, author of Launching Financial Grown-Ups, because you know what? Grown-up life is really hard, but together, we got this. Friends, the ultimate financial grown-up move is retirement. And most of us have mixed feelings about it. Some of us want to do it as fast as possible. In fact, there's a whole lifestyle devoted to it called Financial Independence Retire Early, also known as the FIRE movement. And some of us just think of retirement as something for old people, and we are terrified that when the time comes, we won't be ready. Most of us, somewhere in between. But I'm going to bet no one regrets planning for retirement today, as in right now. And that is why I'm excited to bring you this episode of my friend Benjamin Brandt's podcast, Retirement Starts Today, where we talked about strategies to make sure we can get our kids set up in their own financial lives so we can live ours. You are in for a treat. Here it is. All right, Bobby, on this show, we deal with retirees, people living off their savings. We do the same thing at my wealth management firm. When people are approaching retirement, there's three concerns that we talk about a lot, but we give a lot more attention to the first two. So the first one is usually, how am I going to pay for my health insurance before I'm 65? And the second one is, you know, what do I do about if my house isn't paid for? But the third one, and that's the reason why I was so excited to have you on the show, you're kind of an expert in, what do we do if we still have kids at home as we approach retirement? So let's talk about what what are some of the issues that we face with kids still at home when we're trying to think about retirement? This is the big question, and it's become kind of the elephant in the room for our generation because so many of us, we had a different expectation as we grew into adulthood. We were called, I'm a Gen Xer, we were called slackers if we stayed home. Now it's considered smart to stay on the payroll of your parents, and there's not that much pressure to have an exit strategy. And this was only amplified by the COVID-19 pandemic because then it was the smart thing to do to move home regardless of your finances. And it can be very comfortable to be with your parents. And that is a good thing. I want to say that. I think overall, it is very good that we have, I think, as a society, much stronger intergenerational relationships than we ever really had. And I don't know that it was necessarily healthy that in previous generations, the moment you turned whatever arbitrary age, let's say 18, it was like, boom, boom, we were done. Good luck. You know, Come see us on Thanksgiving. Relationships have changed and it's become a lot more fluid and that's all good. What's challenging is we don't have these guardrails set up for our children and we don't have these expectations and universal exit strategies to guide us into how exactly we move them from the transition. Now we had, as more Americans went to college, we had that as sort of a structure. You graduate college, now you're an adult. Now you're going to get a job. Now you're going to have your own residence. But again, major societal changes because we're all getting married and having families later or not at all. That freedom is a wonderful thing that people are not boxed into these societal expectations that they in the past maybe were forced into that weren't right for them. We also have 
in many ways, a great thing that not everyone has to have a corporate job. I don't have a corporate job and I can earn a living. This is great because we can function in an entrepreneurial or a gig economy. And gig economy is very different from starting a business necessarily. That also takes away a lot of the safety nets and the structure and the societal expectations. So we're left with so much gray area in terms of where our kids are supposed to be that they're confused too. It's great that now we have Obamacare and you can have your kids on your health insurance till they're 26 because it gives them the freedom to explore things and they don't have to necessarily rush to the first corporate job available. On the other hand, companies are no longer incentivized to provide that as a benefit as much. They can get workers on contract and so on. And your kids have financial ties to you so much longer that it becomes a bigger challenge because you have someone who's 25 years old who has never had a corporate job, who is not moving into a life stage that may have been forced upon them too early in the past, but still you have a lot of 25-year-olds who are getting married, having kids, and those traditional family structures is just not even something that they feel any urgency towards. So then what? They're sort of in this prolonged adolescence and you as parents have to figure out how to help them understand that they are not adulting anymore. They are adults. Right. We're not acting as an adult. You are actually legally defined as an adult, right? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, a, and we as parents, you know, we are often just as guilty as the kids of falling into these changed societal expectations because as I mentioned, things like health insurance, but even just the way that we think of our kids. I mean, I remember, so I'm Jewish and we belong to a synagogue and it was time to sign up for, they actually give tickets for the Jewish holidays in the fall and it was time to sign up. And I signed up and I signed up my husband, me and three kids. And then I got back a note from them and it said, well, we're all set with your 14 year old and you know, you're 20, he was 21 at the time, he, your college kid. Great. We've got tickets for them but your 25 year old is going to need her own membership. And it's, you know, X dollars. And it was the same. It wasn't even discounted. I was like, wait, so for her to sit with us, she's my child. Why can't she just have a seat? And they're like, but she's 25. And I kind of had to take a step back and say, they're right. You know, she may be our child, but she is 25 years old. She is an adult. She should have her own membership at this point. It's not unreasonable. In fact, it's really generous that they have the college kids in there as quote kids. But we as parents need to start understanding that even though they're our children, they're also adults. Right. And making them pay their own way. One, there's the financial and the adulting aspect to it. But then also she's opting in then. I think it's your daughter, right? She's opting in yeah. then that she this is actually something she wants to be a part of. So in some way it then it reinforces, you know, our our budgets or our priorities. It reinforces then what is important. So there's some logic from the other other end, I guess, too. But yeah. I mean, I, th I think that we have to really change our perception and start treating our children as adults and giving them the space to be proactive about their own finances. So your book, your new book, Bobby, Launching Financial Grownups. Congratulations on the book, by the way. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about how we start to, you know, we I think we all envision ourselves somewhere down the road where it's just ourselves or just ourselves and our spouse and the kids have, have grown and gone and, and we feel really great about the people that they're becoming, the adults they're becoming. What are some of the things that we can start to do, like let's say in middle school where my kids are, that we can start to get them ready for this? Uh, I think in your book, you call it an exit strategy, which I really love. <laughs> so how could we start pointing them in the angle while respecting boundaries, while still loving them as our children? How do we start pointing towards that exit strategy? Well, that's such a good question. And that really is everything. And I have a 14-year-old too, by the way. So a lot of it is being 
transparent at the age appropriate and at, at your comfort level and letting them in on what it costs to be them as they go through the different life stages and helping them. So for example, so let's go to my the college kid. We are paying for his rental apartment um, with his roommates in college, but I have him pay the landlord directly. So he, even though I reimburse him, he has to come to me and ask for that money. And he has to come to me if he wants me to pay for anything and explain why. Part of getting him ready to be on his own is going through what it costs. For example, when he got the apartment, I said, you know, you need rental insurance. And he's like, oh, I said, do you know what that is? I guess. Do you know how to get it? No. Okay. Why don't you research it? Come to me with some possible companies and I'm going to help you out. I'm going to talk to my the company that we already use for insurance too. So I'll cover that and you come with some other ideas. And so I went, first of all, to our company, which is a traditional insurance company that we worked through a broker. My husband had been working with them for many, many years. They gave me, I thought, a horrible quote. I thought it was obnoxious considering that we were customers for multiple decades. I said to them, are you going to cut me a break at all? He's a kid. He's paying for this himself, you know? And they were like, well, this is what the rate is. Okay. So then Bradley comes and, and we find some companies. And, and one of these was a fintech company. Um, I have no affiliation with them. It happened to be Lemonade. They very clearly on their website explained how insurance works. And they gave him a quote. And what I loved about this, and we did this together, it's important to drive with your kid. In other words, sit at the keyboard for something like this with them. You sit next to them. They press the buttons on their computer. We were able to get a quote and we broke down the quote into what, you know, where is the money going? So for example, one of the four components of the quote was if something happens to your apartment and things are damaged, we will pay for you to live in a hotel for up to 14 days. And there were levers. So you can do up to 10 days, up to 20 days. And, and he could see the price adjusting, but we could also see, wait a second, we don't even need this part because we live 30 blocks north. So you can just come stay at our home in your childhood bedroom if something happens for a week. And so let's just knock this off. And so we went through it. Again, very important. I am watching to make sure that he's pressing the right buttons, but he's pressing them. And in the end, it goes on his debit card and he pays for it. And then separately, you can discuss depending on your family finances, who pays for what. But it's really important that the kids, as early as they can, put them in the driver's seat for their own financial decisions. If, if they're investing money, for example, in a Roth IRA, let them sit at the computer with you supervising, make sure they press the buttons, make sure they have their login and put them in the driver's seat. Okay. So they're in the driver's seat and we're kind of, uh, my daughter, my, my oldest daughter is learning how to drive right now. So that's an apt metaphor. They're in the driver's seat. Yes. I'm in the, I'm in the yes. passenger seat with the hand on the handle and, you know, wishing I could touch the brakes, but they're in the driver's seat. We're letting them click the buttons uh, so that they're making those connections in their mind of I'm doing this for a specific reason and here's the specific cost. How do we as parents deal with mistakes that they are on the verge of making or have made financially? Do we swoop in? Do we try to guide them before the fact? We bail them out? Uh, I'm sure there's been some instances and I think some described in your book of some mistakes made. How as parents do we decide when and where we, we swoop in and fix everything? It's important to let them make some mistakes. But it's also important to protect them from mistakes that will either have serious consequences or a long-term impact. So an example in my book is my stepdaughter who got a great job out of college and she 
because she's, you know, my daughter and we, I, I raised her, you know, my, my husband, I should say we have the two older ones are stepchildren that did grow up in my household. Their mom lives in a different state. So she got the full treatment of living with a CFP and a business news reporter and personal finance journalist. So she knew a lot. Okay. She knew I was going to badger her to make sure that she maxed out that 401k, even though her quote priority was saving to buy a residence. She still had to do the 401k. She understood you know, all the whole things that I told her about compounding, et cetera. So she's on board with that also. So that's the first thing. Some people have that battle. I didn't have that battle with her, but she proudly showed me that she had put money into the 401k, but she had not taken that extra step to complete putting it into an investment. And she was kind of in a rush to go somewhere. And that is something that if you put the money there and it's not invested or it's invested in the wrong thing, that is very long-term because you don't know, you know, you're dealing with, let's say a 22 year old who got their first job. You may not get access to that account ever again. And they might look at it at age 65 and that is terrifying. So you must get in there. You must go in. I don't care if your kid says they did it, have them show you what they chose in their 401k and in any first job, when they're doing anything HR related, have them show it to you. Don't trust them because they are telling the truth when they believe they did it correctly. They probably have, but if they didn't, you need to get in there and help them. That is not an okay mistake for them to make. So anyway, so we did, I went in with her. I, she was in a rush and that's also a thing you got to battle. It's never the thing that they want to be doing. They're always going out to see their friends or whatever. There's always something more important to do than sit with mom and dad and go over their 401k mutual fund selection, pick it with them have them press the buttons. I had that. Then you have to check that they press the right button. She picked the wrong button. She picked the fixed income fund. So she, now she's putting 100% in a fixed income fund. Oh my God. And think about what the stock market has done in the last two years. Oh my God. So I had to stop her and be like, no. And she sort of, you know, she all she saw was that I, you know, let's say it was the American Mutual Fund Company, just making up a name if there is one out there. You know, she saw that there were five choices from the American Mutual Fund Company. She didn't really understand that one was the, you know, low risk fixed income and one was the aggressive equity fund. She just said, well, I picked the American Mutual Fund Company. That's what you said to pick. And I had to say no. And she was like, bye bye. She left. And I was like, screw it. And I just picked it for her. And that was that. Mm -hmm. You know, you can stand on ceremony or you can be there for your kid when they're kind of not. I don't want to say not mature enough, but sometimes it's just not the right moment. And I didn't want to have to chase her down for six months to be like, we need to go back into that 401k. It was better to just, we can go back to it, but let me at least protect my child. Um, And the same thing goes for things like insurance, protect them. Now, if they come to you and say, I have X, I don't want to say a number because numbers are different for everybody, but I have this amount of money from my birthday or my graduation, and I want to spend 5% investing in NFTs. And you happen to think that is not a good idea, just let them. They're 22. Let them do it because it's not really about the investment. It's about their risk tolerance. And so it's great. And and maybe, first of all, by the way, they might be right and you might be wrong about the investment. Um, I have a story in my book from Jen Barrett, who wrote a great book called Think Like a Breadwinner. She talks about her kid and how he invested in some virtual something in a game. And he was consistently flipping these virtual assets for more money. So she's like, well, I could tell him he's wrong, except he's making all this money. And so who are we to say? I think the key thing with investing is to make sure that they understand risk and they understand diversification so that if they take a risk that's larger than life, you know, that's on the larger size, they haven't blown it all. But also to remember that we don't know 
everything about every specific investment. And a lot of things that we invested in, our parents might've thought we were bananas to invest in. So rather than judge the investment, teach them about risk and teach them about diversification and then, you know, short, medium, long-term investing, et cetera. Yeah, I think that's really smart. The lesson is the lesson, regardless of the outcome, right? The lesson is we don't go all in on one idea like an NFT, even if the outcome is the NFT went up 10x in a day and a half or however quickly these right. things move, right? Oh, exactly. And and it's really important to have that moment. I, I don't wish for anyone's child to lose money, but I will tell you. So one of my mistakes was sort of a mistake was, look, I had been reporting for years on IPOs, et cetera. I was a TV reporter based on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange when trades actually took place down there. So now I'm aging myself. But you know, I knew all intellectually, I knew about IPOs and I was given the opportunity to participate in an IPO that uh, my company had a subsidiary that was spinning off. And so I did my allocation and it was amount, it was an amount of money that I certainly could afford to lose, but it was still real money. It was thousands, um, not tens of thousands, but thousands. So I did that. And I will tell you the morning that IPO went, I lost. It's like, it's almost like you think you're cool when you, like when I was pregnant, I never thought I'd be as worried about my child's health as I thought. Like you become religious sometimes when you are like having a child where you're like, really all I want is the healthy child. Really? Like everything, nothing else matters suddenly in a whole different way that you do not understand until you're becoming a parent in the same way. I never understood that sickening feeling when you're like, what did I do? Am I making the wrong decision? Should I ride the stock up? Should I sell? What do I do? Is Am I an idiot to sell because it's the next Amazon? Am I smart to sell because you never lose money taking a profit because it doubled on the first day? You know, so you, you just like, it, it was so, it was such a lesson to be on that roller coaster emotionally. I'm still upset. I mean, you're, you're seeing me on Zoom. I'm upset recalling that day. And what I did in the end was I sold half at the top and then it crashed. I came out even. I always thought I had a much higher risk tolerance than I did. And I didn't learn that until it was my money. And so you have to let your kids learn what their actual risk tolerance is. We all, I think most of us think, think it's much higher than it is. And we're learning that with the market. I mean, we're recording this in early March, 2022, and the markets have been really tough, even though they're still at very high levels, by the way, if you've been invested for any substantial period of time, we're doing fine. But it's still hard. It is hard. Yeah. I mean, most portfolios are, are ahead of where they were this time last year, but that's not how we think. We look at year to date. Our eyes are always just drawn to the most recent high and, hey, we're down from there. But what about the high before that? Or what about you know what we did in the last two years? Or what about when we rebalance? But those are all great lessons yeah. for kids too. I mean, like you said, we yeah. don't want our kids to go broke. But no. I, I mean, when you're 21, is there a better time to go broke? I mean, that's if, totally. if you're going to go broke, 21 is the time to do it, right? So yeah, I mean, it's the same thing with things like credit card debt. I mean, you don't want them to have it, but if they're going to have it, let them have it and let them work their way out of it as painful as it may be. One story I tell in the book is of David Bach, who ran up credit card debt in college, his dad bailed him out. So then he ran it up again. Yeah. So I'm really against the bailing kids out on credit card debt. Obviously, you don't want anything truly tragic to happen if they're in some kind of trouble where they're going to, you know, I, I don't even want to say, but let them pay it off. You have to, because otherwise they don't feel the healthy pain. Yeah, you got to let it sting a little. Scars are stories. Yeah, yeah, which is hard. 
Another concept in the book is a lot of us have been helicopter parents and then the kids go to college. We become what's called snowplow parents. We're kind of like still like easing the way for them and like trying to get their grades better with a professor. It's just always available. And then we move into concierge parenting where we're available at any moment, right? Especially because they can text us, which is something we did not have. You're younger than me, but I didn't have texting when I was in college. You know, you had to kind of use the phone, like an old fashioned phone that plugged into the wall and leave a voicemail on a tape recorder. <laughs> so I couldn't just text my parents with every little thing, but our kids can. So much of that is good, but we are also available at any moment, just like a concierge to solve their problems, to make their life easier, to smooth the way very often with money because money can solve so many of life's you know logistical problems. Sometimes that's good, but also it's robbing them of the ability to think through how can I solve this? If their first gut instinct is to call mom or dad, and I'm not talking about extreme situations, of course, but for the little things, I mean, you know, I caught my husband, we were on a ski vacation soon after our daughter had gone to college. She was in Indiana and she'd been called for jury duty. This isn't even a financial thing. I had sent her screenshots of the jury duty, you know, a month or two earlier, all she had to do was call the phone number and say, I'm in Indiana. I'm a college kid. I cannot be there in person. And yet, yet the day before jury duty, she is calling my husband and telling him that he has to solve this problem for her because she was, because she's too busy, by the way, in college, she's too busy. Dad, I need you to take care of jury duty. Can you go in and tell the judge I can't come? And, I, and I'm sitting here and my husband's like, well, what do I do? And we're, we're like, we're not in New York, by the way. Again, we're on vacation on a ski mountain and she is tasking us as parents and truly believes that we should be solving this problem for her. I had him put on me. I was like, tell her to find the screenshot I sent her and call the phone number. And she was telling him that's not going to work. They're never going to let me out. And, and I'm like, did she try? And finally she did call. You know what happened? They're like, of course, no problem. When would you like to come in? So a lot of times they just are used to us solving, you know, we've, we, we, not all parents, but I know I certainly have, you know, created this situation where we, we love our kids so much that we just want to make their life easier. And it's not necessary. I mean, even something as simple as I discovered a year into college, he hadn't transferred her prescription for, you know, some innocuous medicine. It was nothing that couldn't be shipped or whatever. And he was picking it up for her at our local pharmacy and mailing it to her. And he's like, well, how else would she get it? I said, why don't we just transfer it to the pharmacy there? And he said, but she says she's too busy. And I'm like, how is it harder for her to go to the pharmacy versus the post office? Like, I don't understand why you're a busy executive. He's a consultant. He's traveling constantly. And this came up because I said, well, is there anything I can take off your plate? Because you're so busy. And he wanted me to do this. And I was like, are you insane? And we got resistance from her. And again, this isn't even financial. This just goes to the idea that we are just serving our children as concierges on things that are like just ridiculous, but we love them. And, you know, he just said, oh, honey, I'll take care of it. I'll just send you the medicine. Yeah. In the short term. Because it didn't occur to him that no, as an adult, she's going to be there four years, transfer the prescription Mm -hmm. and have her do it. And in the end, I did it. And it was hard to do it because, you know, when people are over 18, that's the other thing people don't realize. Sometimes you can't do it. Mm-hmm. So for parents that don't have kids in college yet, most of you guys do though, or have been through that. It's kind of shocking because they'll take your check, but they won't show you the grades, <laughs> yeah, right? Because that's, that's privacy. Mm-hmm. They won't show you your kids' medical records. They won't show you the grades. They'll take your check. That's it. Because they're adults. 
And so we have to understand that some things like one of them needs their passport renewed right now. And my husband said, you know, can you do it? And I was like, no, legally I can't because he's an adult. So I'll help him find the form, but no, they, they have to do it themselves. They are of age, work with them the first time and then let them do it themselves. Yeah. Be there the first time. I think, you know, we all lead busy lives. Sometimes it's just easier to say yes, but are you setting yourself up for a lot more yeses in the future? And then before you know it, they're 46 and you're still, uh, you know, driving them to their physical or whatever it is. But uh, yeah, those boundaries are important. If we want financial independence, if we want lifestyle independence, eventually we have to launch some financial grownups. And the other thing that I do want to mention is unfortunately, in some cases, and I hope this never happens, but one thing you can say to your children is, I need you to know enough, not only to take care of yourself, but what if something happens to me? I need you to be able to help me with my finances or to know where to go to get help. Because sometimes a third party can be very helpful and useful and having you know somebody that can help with everyday financial management for your parents. But you are the parents, which is so weird to think about, but you are the parents and you may need their help and you need them to be reasonably competent when it comes to money because they may be in a position where they have to take care of you one day. That's fantastic. Bobby, tell our audience where they could learn more about your new book and and more about you. Well, thank you so much for having me. You can learn about launching financial grownups by going to my website, which is just my name, bobbyrebell.com, spelled B-O-B-B-I-R-E-B-E-L-L. I would love to get out there and speak to you if you're looking for speakers. There's a page there that just says work with me. So please be in touch if that's something that you are interested in. And if you want some fun gifts, check out Grown Up Gear, which is my adulting merch line, which is super fun. And um, yeah, that's it. And that's grownupgear.com? Grownupgear.com. Oh, and I'm on all the socials. My Instagram is actually Bobby Rebel and the number one. This is really sad. I messed up Bobby Rebel and I can't get into it. And they don't believe that I'm me. So I lost my own handle. <laughs> oh, I was picturing, is there a more famous Bobby Rebel? Because you're the only one that I, no. that I know of. But it's just you, a different version of you. It's just me. And yeah, I can't get that account back, which is kind of funny. But everywhere else, I'm Bobby Rebel. And I'm going to soon set up a TikTok channel, which will be financial grown up. It's going to be great. That's it's awesome. going to be great. I can't wait. I can't <laughs> wait. Big thanks to Benjamin Branch for having me on such a great podcast. Everyone, please follow or subscribe depending on the service that you use to listen to your podcasts. And thanks to everyone who has or will picked up a copy of Launching Financial Grownups. If you like it, please, please, please help me out. Leave a review on Amazon. My goal is to get to 100 reviews and you will see I still have a ways to go. So please write something nice and... um let me know. DM me on Instagram at BobbyRebel1 or on Twitter at BobbyRebel so that I can thank you. Each one really matters. So thank you again. Did I mention? I really appreciate it. Okay, guys, be in touch in all the places, especially, by the way, my newsletter where I share relevant news stories for us financial grownups, along with discounts and other bonuses and specials from my grown-up gear line of adulting gifts, perfect for the graduate this season. You can just go to my website, bobbyrebel.com to sign up for the newsletter. Just scroll down. There's buttons all around there. And by the way, while you're there, if you click on the podcast tab, you can find transcripts and show notes to every episode of this podcast. On that note, big thanks to Ben for so graciously having me on Retirement Starts Today and to all of you for being financial grownups.
Money Tips for Financial Grownups is a production of BRK Media, LLC. Editing and production by Steve Stewart. Guest coordination, content creation, social media support, and show notes by Ashley Wall. You can find the podcast show notes, which include links to resources mentioned in the show, as well as show transcripts, by going to my website, bobbyrebell.com. You can also find an incredible library of hundreds of previous episodes to help you on your journey as a financial grown-up. The podcast and tons of complimentary resources associated with the podcast is brought to you for free, but I need to have your support in return. Here's how you can do that. First, connect with me on social media at bobbyrebell1 on Instagram and bobbyrebell on both Twitter and on Clubhouse, where you can join my Money Tips for Grownups Club. Second, share this podcast on social media and tag me so I can thank you. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Reading each one means the world to me. And you know what? It really motivates others to subscribe. You can also support our merch shop, grownupgear.com, by picking up fun gifts for your grown-up friends and treating yourself as well. And most of all, Help your friends on their journey to being financial grownups by encouraging them to subscribe to the podcast. Together, we got this. Thank you for your time and for the kind words so many of you send my way. See you next time. And thank you for supporting Money Tips for Financial Grownups.